Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the So This Is The New Year edition, as we get you set for opening day at Paul Brown Stadium as the Bengals host Mike Zimmer's Minnesota Vikings. Coming up, we'll find out what advice former Bengals great T.J. Hushmanzada has for rookie Jamar Chase about overcoming a preseason case of Butterfingers. And I'll talk to Jonah Williams, who hopes that bigger is better as he gets ready for his second season as the Bengals' left tackle. Dave Lapham and I will discuss the return of Joe Burrow and the absence of Trey Waynes. And finally, it's this week's Know the Foe segment as we discuss the Vikings with beat writer Chris Thomason from the St. Paul Pioneer Press. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since... Robert Weintraub's profile of LAP for Cincinnati Magazine. Robert Weintraub has been a guest on this podcast before for his work on the Football Outsiders Almanac. He also writes about the Bengals for Cincinnati Magazine, and this month, he's written a wonderful story about my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. The title is Mr. Bengal is Mr. Beloved, and it captures why Lap is such a great ambassador for the franchise. You can find the story online. Just go to CincinnatiMagazine.com. Now, let's get to Sunday's season opener. The return of Joe Burrow is obviously the headline, but the debut of his former college teammate Jamar Chase is not far behind. We are all eager to see if Chase will catch the ball now that the games count. His preseason drops were a head-scratcher, and I discussed it this week with one of the greatest wide receivers in team history. When wide receiver play is the topic, our go-to guy is the Bengals' single-season record holder for receptions, the great T.J. Hushmanzada. T.J., it's no secret that Jamar Chase struggled with drops in the preseason. Do you think it's physical or mental? It's always mental. Yeah, yeah, it's always mental. But the key words you said was preseason. And so you don't get many targets. They, they came over a course of three games. And so it's such a small sample size. If you think about it, if it was a regular season game, he probably would have had six to eight targets. And so you'll forget about the drop that he had in the game because he's probably going to catch the rest of those. It's just a small sample size. It, it, it's 100% mental. I mean, the only thing, I'm not concerned at all. I am concerned slightly with the lack of separation. Um, the drops that he did have, the guy, the DBs are right there. I mean, they're right on him. And so don't worry about the drops. He's going to catch the ball and he's going to drop more balls. Also, just, just so people know that we're receivers, we're going to drop the ball. It just happens. And it's always a lack of concentration. Um, for the most part, he needs to just focus on creating separation because this thing, if you look at an LSU, he made a ton of contested catches and the NFL guys are just better. So you, you're going to still make them. You're just not going to make as many. When you had a period where you dropped the ball, when did you know it was over? Oh, when you stopped thinking about it. I mean, it, it's really crazy because I, I, I didn't really drop many balls early on, but I remember dropping the punt um, against the Steelers. And, and then I believe it was a game or two after I muffed another one. 
and I'll never forget the balls being punted to me. And in my head, I'm thinking, you got to catch it. You got to catch it. You got to catch it. Oh, hell no. I'm letting it drop. And I just let it bounce. And they come, you come to the sideline and Darren said, you got to catch the ball. And I'm like, shut up, leave me alone. <laughs> but in my mind, I was thinking about it. And so, you know, it's gone when you stop thinking about it and you just play. And, and so guarantee the first ball Jamar gets thrown to him in his mind, he's going to think, catch it, catch it, catch it. Yes, I caught that. Excuse my language. And, and so it will be one of those things when he's not thinking about it and it's not in your mind, it's gone. So if Jamar was on the other side of this connection, what would your advice be? Just play football, man. It happens. We drop the ball. It is, you know you can play. Just play football. Work on getting open. Work on creating separation. Everything else will take care of itself. Our guest is former Pro Bowl receiver T.J. Hushmanzada. When I think of the best trio of wide receivers in Bengals history, I think of you, Chad, and the late Chris Henry. How does this group compare, in your opinion? Well, it's a, it's a little different. And I say it's a little different because me and Chad came in the same year, whereas Tyler is, years-wise, is a lot older than T and, and Jamar. But Ty, Tyler can play, you know, at – and you would assume Tyler, if he's not the number one receiver game plan wise, he's the number one receiver on that team. It was a little different with me and Chad being older and then Chris being a young guy. Whereas now with Tyler being the old guy and T and Jamar being a younger guy, but they do have the potential to be just as good or even better. It's just a matter of, are they going to keep Tyler there? His contract, I believe, runs out in a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. And, and so uh, it's a little different. Hopefully they can do the same things or better. They have the pieces on offense, that's for sure. You have Joe at quarterback. You got Mixon in the backfield, tight end, Uzuma. You got good up front if, if they can get that cohesiveness. And, and I believe that's going to be the biggest key. Uh, if they can gel and, and just keep Joe mentally Okay, physically he'll be fine, but it's the mental part of it for Joe. If they, if they can keep him clean, then those three are going to get off. So Joe Burrow's comeback is obviously the big story of the season, and, and you were Carson Palmer's teammate in 2006. When he came back from his knee injury, you had your first 1,000-yard season that year. When did you know that Carson was back to normal? It's so different, the, the game today. You really can't hit a quarterback. You have to be very careful. But it's also, it's still dangerous. And for Joe, and for, for Joe, it's going to be 100% mental. And you read stories about him in training camp, kind of nervous. That's normal. That's to be expected. What, what I would do if I'm the Bengals, I'm coming out with the quick game, ball out quick. He knows balls out quick. So he's going to relax. When we do work down the field, I'm going to max protect because the, the Vikings are a single high team. Well, Mike Zimmer, they're a single high team. And so we max protect and we give Joe the mental confidence to know we're protected. And, and so if he knows that mentally, he's like, yes, I'm getting the ball out quick. No problem. Yes, we got max protection. No problem. I believe mentally he can relax himself and understand that. With Carson, it was just a matter of uh, he got hurt. For us, it was the playoffs, so he didn't have as long of a 
healing process that uh, Joe did. And, and so for Car Carson is just different, man. He, he's just different. One, I, it, it, it sucks, you know, that we weren't able to win more, but uh, Carson, it was just different. He was a different dude, big, fast, strong, threw a very catchable ball, but he had a cannon. And, and Joe is similar, but mentally, I don't know the difference of the two because I haven't been around Joe enough. But you have been following him for a while because you have a couple of daughters that play softball at LSU. If you had to pick out one quality about Joe Burrow that you respect the most, what would that be? Competitiveness. His, his self-belief in himself. I, Joe trained out here with Jordan Palmer for the NFL Combine. And so I was around Joe every day leading up to that process. And that was a year of COVID. So the last day we worked out, I'll never forget it. We're in the weight room. I'm like, Leave, when are you leaving? He was like, I think I got to get out of here tomorrow because they're going to shut everything down. And that was our last day. So I was around Joe five months, pretty much four days a week. And, and so it's his confidence and his belief in himself stands out more than anything. Do you expect the Bengals to be significantly better this year? And if so, why? I expect them to be better significantly. I'm not sure. If Joe had not tore his knee, significantly. It's how he comes back. The Bengals have a good team. And we talked about what they have offensively. That, that is going to be constant. They're going to be good on offense. Defensively, can they be better than what they were last year? And let's just be honest, that's not too hard to do. And so... They were bad last year, and so they need to improve defensively because they're in a division that's not easy. Baltimore is really good. You play them twice. The Browns are really good. You play them twice. And say what you want about the Steelers. They're going to play defense, and as long as uh, number seven is under center, they're going to throw the ball well. And, and so the Bengals' defense needs to be better. I believe they will be. But significantly, I'm not sure because I don't know how Joe's going to come back I don't know how that cohesiveness on the offensive line is going to work, but I do expect them to be improved for sure. Always great to pick your brain. Appreciate the time. Hope we get to do it again this season. I appreciate it. Thank you. And they will beat the Vikings, though, this Sunday. I will say that. I do believe they're going to start 1-0. Bold prediction by the 2007 Pro Bowler who set the Bengals' single-season record that year with 112 catches. Any season preview you read about the Bengals is likely to follow this theme. They've got their franchise quarterback, they've surrounded him with weapons, but have they done enough to improve the offensive line? Here's my take. The dependable Riley Reef will be a significant upgrade from the inconsistent Bobby Hart at right tackle, and the group as a whole will benefit from the return of an outstanding coach in Frank Pollock. But one of the biggest keys that hasn't been getting enough attention is the development of Jonah Williams. He was the first offensive lineman taken in the 2019 draft for a reason, and after two injury-plagued seasons, he's ready for year three. Jonah, you are noticeably bigger this year. Based on training camp and 20 snaps in preseason games, can you tell if bigger is better, and if so, why? I think so. I feel, I feel good, and it's hard to tell if that's due to technique or if that's you know the weight and strength helping out but I think uh, it's definitely been a good thing to put on a little bit of weight. 
It's not a huge sample size, but you were involved in 11 pass-blocking snaps in the preseason games and did not allow any pressures, at least according to Pro Football Focus. You were blocking against Chase Young on several of those plays. How would you feel you did? Uh, I think I, you know, I'm happy with how I played, but as a person who wants to get better, you know, that's what that's what we practice for and that's what the season's for. Um, you know, so I think I did well, but I'm looking to uh, get a little bit better. It's your third season, but really it's your second because you were injured in year one. How much different do you feel going into this year than you did a year ago? I feel a lot different. I feel a lot better. Um, you know, the game moves a little bit slower, as they say. I think it that just takes a lot of game reps to start to get used to it. Um, you know, playing in the NFL is a big challenge. So the more experience you have and the more comfortable you are going out there, uh, you know, the more success you're likely going to have. We're chatting with Jonah Williams. So when Frank Pollock was brought back as the offensive line coach in early January, did you guys talk over the phone? Did you meet? How did you begin forming a relationship? Yeah, I uh, I was back here for a bit in the off season. Um, you know, just getting my knee signed off on and checked out and everything like that from from the end of the season. Um, you know, so I was able to see coach and talk and get a feel for how he operates and you know what is you know what his attitude is like and you know really appreciate him as a coach and have enjoyed you know all the time we spent together so far in addition to having a new position coach you've got a 10-year vet on the opposite side of the offensive line and riley reef is that almost like having another coach <laughs> it is you know riley's uh riley's played a lot of football and he he knows what he's talking about and so it's, it's good to hear that you know you, you have the coach perspective and you know Obviously, Coach Pollock also played in the NFL for, for a while, so you have that insight. And then you have Riley, who's played so long. And, you know, I'm playing next to Q and or Quentin, and we have uh, Trey, too. So playing next to a lot of guys in X who have played a lot of football. So I think we're definitely an experienced unit this year. Riley is roughly the same size as you are. He's not one of these six seven, three hundred and forty 340-pound kind of guys. Does yeah. that make his information even more helpful? I think so, for sure. Um, you know, I think there's similarities in our games, and you know, obviously, like you said, in the in terms of just pure size and that type of thing, we're we're pretty close. So I think that that it adds an element. You know, we kind of have the same toolbox. So uh, if he says something works for him, then it's likely to work for me. I'm interested in your intel on a guy on the opposite side of the ball, Trey Hendrickson, who came in as a free agent, 13 and a half sacks last year mm -hmm. with the Saints to tie for second best in the NFL. You've had to block him a lot in yep. training camp. What stands out? Uh, you know, he's a he's a great player, and I think the thing that stands out most is his speed, his upfield speed, his ability to get upfield and put pressure on the tackle to you know get depth so he can protect, uh, and also his motor. You know, he's a he's a guy who's going to keep on try and move swiping hands and even if you beat him on the first thing he's going to keep on trying and you know I don't know how many snaps he's played but it felt like every snap I was watching him in the preseason he was getting pressure so um you know it's been good battling with him all camp and I think we've made each other better the last time we saw you last year on the field it did not look good I think most of us assumed that you had a torn ACL or something of that magnitude when you went down in the Miami game uh, two games after Joe Burrow's injury did you fear the worst at that time I did. Uh, you know, I, I felt the same thing that you guys saw. I felt somebody flying into my knee from the side and, you know, felt some issues in my knee. So I was pretty, pretty happy to hear that, you know, when the MRI results came back, that it wasn't as serious as I thought. So it, it allowed me to go into the offseason, rehab it. And then for the vast majority of the offseason, I've been 100% training at full speed. And I think that that's been, you know, beneficial to my uh, growth this year.
So you open against the Vikings, and you're going to be matched up against one of the NFL's premier pass rushers in Daniil Hunter. He missed last year with a neck injury, but before that, back-to-back seasons of 14 and a half sacks. You study these guys. What stands out about him? I think he's a he's a really balanced rusher. That's the first thing I notice is he, you know, he he has a little bit of everything, and he he's good at everything he does. He's not just a speed guy. He's not just a power guy. He's not just a technique guy. He kind of you know combines all of that, and he's he's a versatile player. Um, you know, and that's that's the NFL. Every every single week, pretty much, we're playing a premier pass rusher, and so that that's the challenge for this week is to is to handle him. And you know, I'm. I feel good about this O-line room, and I, I feel good going into practice that we're going to, you know, do a good job. Last thing for Jonah Williams, you have been reunited with your high school quarterback from Folsom High School near Sacramento as the Bengals have added uh, Jake Browning to the practice squad. It's a small world, isn't it? It is. It's a tiny world, and it's cool to be practicing with him again for the first time since 2014. Um and, you know, last time we practiced together, we were undefeated. Never lost a game while practicing together. So um, I think that's a good sign for the future, and I'm glad to have him on the team. I like the way you think. Best of luck this season. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That's Jonah Williams. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time to discuss some of the key storylines in week one with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap, it's going to be a very special day on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. It marks the return of Joe Burrow. Yes. The official return. He obviously played three preseason snaps in the final preseason game, but this will be the one that counts. It'll be 42 Sundays uh, since his injury in Washington last year, torn ACL, torn MCL, partially torn PCL. He's hardly the first quarterback to come back from an injury like this. Tom Brady tore his ACL and MCL in 2009. Had a passer rating of 96-plus the following year. Carson Palmer tore his ACL and MCL in that playoff game. That was a month and a half later than Joe Burrow. He came back in 2006 and averaged more yards per attempt than any other year of his Bengals tenure. So guys do this. And he was MVP of the Pro Bowl that year. So he goes to the Pro Bowl and is the best player there. So there there are some examples of success stories for sure. And, yeah, when you talk about ACL, MCL, and partial of the PCL, the terrible triad, they call that, when you damage all three of those uh, ligaments, it's, it's extensive. There's no question about it. And uh, for Joe Burrow to grind through the rehab process like he has, Dan, and to be where he is is pretty darn remarkable. Joe Burrow spoke to the Cincinnati media earlier today. He was asked the following question. Does he think he's back to normal? I expect to be better. You know, I've put in a lot of work this offseason that you know, I'm excited to show off, as well as all of our guys have. You know, we're a, a much better football team that has prepared the way we need to and, and understands how to win games now, I think. So I've, I've seen more football. I've, seen, I've had more reps against defenses that you know, maybe you hadn't seen before, and so I know what to get to when, when I see those. And so it just comes with reps, and I'm going to get even more, and I'm going to you know, you try to improve year to year. Um, so I'm excited to, to go out there and show everybody what I got. I think it's fair to say that Joe Burrow struggled for about the first week of training camp, and then he settled in, and he looked good. What are your expectations for Joe beginning with week one? Yeah, I, I think that, that Joe Burrow has got one big box left to check, and that's taking the hit. And, and he's, he's talked about it, you know, a few times. So it, if, if a guy says, I'm not thinking about that, 
it's hard to believe that he wouldn't be. It's, it's natural. It's, hu- it's human nature. So you don't, as a, as a former lineman, I certainly don't want to see him get hit. But if he does, for some reason, get hit early in the game or whenever it happens in the game, I think that is the last big final box to check, and he gets up, dusts himself off. I think then he's off and running. But um, I, I hope, Dan, that the Bengals don't throw the ball 40 times with Joe Burrow in this football game. I hope that Joe Burrow throws 25, no more than 30 times in this football game. I hope they get a running game going and they can, you know, kind of ease Joe back into it a little bit. In today's football, 25, 30 times is not a, a huge number, but he averaged over 40 passes per game, 40 attempts a game as a rookie. That That's just... I think it's too, it's too much to ask him to go out there and throw it 40 times in this football, unless they run any snaps. And they run it 40 times and throw it 40 times, and they're, they're just a machine offensively, and they're scoring every possession. I find that hard to believe against Mike Zimmer's defensive football team. Uh, he's on record saying it's the worst defense he ever had last year, but he's got guys back from injury. Um, he's got guys back from COVID. Uh, he's, got, you know, he's got some talent on that defensive football team. And he and Paul Gunther are back together. They were the inventors, basically, the double-A-gap blitz and all the stuff you do with it. So there's a lot of pressure on the offensive line to recognize, communicate that, for Joe to make pre- and post-snap reads properly because they're going to be trying to disguise in the back end. And Harrison Smith, the safety, five-time pro bowler, can do that as well as anybody. So I would make sure that I get that running game going because, in my opinion, Mike Zimmer is going to start the game with two safeties deep and so he can play back there in disguise. And he's going to say, front seven, I believe you can stop the run. We can handle them. I might even put six in the box some. We can stop the run. It's up to the Bengals' offensive line to change that and make him change what he's doing on the back end a little bit by running the football successfully and, and get, get Mike Zimmer out of that and... Dan, I think one of the biggest things in this football game is in-game adjustments. You know, you don't know exactly what you're going to see in an opener. These coaches have had all this time to prepare for an opener. They're going to do something that you have not prepped for. Which coaching staff can make adjustments on the sideline, in-game adjustments, based on their rules, applying to different formations, whatever the case may be, even though they haven't repped against it, who can make the adjustments and take care of those kind of things during the course of the football game in the opener? I was listening to a Vikings podcast earlier today where somebody referred to Mike Zimmer as a third down defensive genius. Yes. What is it about Zim and making it so difficult for opponents on third down? It, it's that double A gap stuff. That's when he really goes crazy, you know, on third down. And double A gap means the A gap is the is the the space between the center and both guards. Center right guard, center left guard, that's the A-gap. And he walks guys up. Linebackers could be a linebacker and a safety. He walks them up into the A-gap. And they can rush straight with defensive line rush straight. They can twist with the defensive tackles. They can super loop with defensive ends. There's all kinds of things they can do. They can drop one out. They can drop both out. There's, there's a myriad of things, a myriad of different looks you can do. And, and it puts a lot of pressure on the offensive line and running backs and tight ends, everybody involved in blitz pickup responsibility. And as bad as they were defensively, uh, Dan, that's one area where they were, they were pretty good. On, in third down red zone, 
red zone third down, second in the NFL. They only allowed the opposition to convert 35.3% of the time. Miami was number one at 35%. They were number two. So even as, as, as poor as they were, they were 29th in points allowed, 27th in yards allowed. That's, that's unheard of for Mike Zimmer. In 2017, they were first in both categories, and they went to that big of a slide. But third down in the red zone, and then third down overall. You know, they were, they were, they were pretty good on third down. But in, in the red zone, they were dynamic on third down, and that's where his, you know, he's like a, a mad scientist. He's a chemist, you know, putting things together and coming up with different ways to try to attack you and pressure you. So that's where you have to be really good on third down and really good in the red zone, particularly on third down in the red zone. All right, let's talk about another big story going into Sunday's game, and that involves rookie Jamar Chase. Will he hold on to the ball when it's thrown to him by Joe Burrow? He dropped five passes in his final year at LSU, 84 catches, five drops. In three preseason games, one catch, four drops. So the ratio is not good. Here is Jamar Chase this week talking about the problems he had during the preseason holding on to the ball. I don't know. I don't want to blame it on me sitting sitting on my butt the whole year, but I mean, it probably has something to do with it, of course. Um, you know, it's a bigger ball adjustment. Um, so, you know, I don't want to make any excuses, but I just got to be a pro and make the catch. The ball is different because it's bigger, of course. Um, another reason is it's different because it doesn't have the white stripes on the side, so you can't see the ball coming in from the tip of the point. So now you actually have to look for the strings on the ball at the top. Um, which is a little hard to see because the whole ball is brown and then we have like six string that's brown, that's white. Um, but for the most part, um, you know what I'm saying? You just got to get used to it, um, find out what I'm comfortable with catching, how I'm catching it comfortable and going from there, to be honest. I think my drops can come from me not looking the ball in. By looking the ball in, I mean like high pointing and watching it as soon as it hits and me looking away. Um, me running before the catch. So stuff like that is me dropping it, and I did it a couple times. My long-term concern for Jamar Chase is nil. I'm not worried at all that eventually he'll hold on to the ball like he did at LSU, and that aspect of his game will be fine. My short-term concern for Jamar Chase is pretty high just because it is clearly still in his head until he reels off a few catches and doesn't have a problem with a drop you can't help but be a little concerned I agree with you Dan the thing is we saw drops in practice at training camp and then it carried over into the game where like you said five opportunities caught one drop four that's a big carryover and what you don't want to do is let one mistake turn into two three or four you know and and uh so now a little pattern developed for him in the preseason games and now, like you say, he gets into his head a little bit. And now you start to press. And the one throw that Joe Burrow made to Jamar Chase is something I think they're going to do quite a bit, bubble screens, because his lower body is so strong. You get him in space one-on-one, it's hard to bring that guy down. He's going to get a lot of yards after catch. And I think in his mind he was like, here it comes. The fans are going crazy. Joe Burrow's first pass. Joe and I, LSU, man, we're gonna, I'm putting on a show. And then he peeks. And he looks to see where the defensive back is and he doesn't secure the football. You can't do anything after the catch if you don't catch it. Got to catch the football. So, uh, you know, part of it is at some point every great player does have slumps as such. 
in terms of catching the ball or dropping the football. And if this is a, a minor slump, it's good to have it happen when it did rather than the regular season. But my, my advice to him would be don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Just go out there, react, and play. And we both know, Dan, that in terms of catchable footballs, Joe Burrow throws about as catchable football is there, as there is. It's not, you know, a duck. It's a tight spiral. It's got, it's got some RPMs on it, but it's not so hot that it's going to burn your hands up. Joe Burrow throws a catchable football, and he knows it, and he caught a ton of them in 2019 with Joe Burrow. So do it again. All right, let's talk about the injury report. First one of the week came out earlier today for the Bengals. Trey Waynes did not practice due to his hamstring injury. We already know that he will not play on Sunday. The news is better for rookie center Trey Hill, now number two on the depth chart at that position behind Trey Hopkins. He was a full participant at practice as he is back from his hip injury. And tight end Mitchell Wilcox, number three on the totem pole, is fully back from his concussion. That's good. Because Four. if Trey Hill didn't snap, Dan, we, we watched the tryouts for <laughs> some of the guards. Uh, not good. Yeah, it, not, not good. So Trey Hill, it's good that he's back as the backup center for sure. All right, for the Minnesota Vikings, they don't list anybody as not participating in practice. They had three guys who are limited. Tight end Tyler Conklin with a hamstring injury. Now they've lost their number one tight end for the season, Ernst right, Smith. Right. Tyler Conklin, number two on the totem pole. They just went out and got two guys this past week. So they could be starting completely new players uh, at that position. Linebacker Anthony Barr, great player, has missed basically a month, didn't play in the preseason. He did practice a little bit today, so maybe he can make the dance on Sunday. Rookie tackle Christian Darasaw has been out with a groin injury. He was also limited at practice today. So those are the big concerns for the Minnesota Vikings. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, Darasaw, obviously the first-round pick, and they, they drafted uh, Wyatt, big, big boy uh, inside a guard from the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes in the third round. Wyatt Davis. Wyatt Davis, yep. yes. And neither one of them are listed as starters at this point in time. So it's not just the Bengals that have young rookie linemen that are in backup positions and not starting at this point in time. The Minnesota Vikings are in the same boat. So with Trey Wayne's out, Eli Apple will apparently start in his spot. Darius Phillips also very capable of filling in. Yep. You know, you'd love to have Trey Wayne's, obviously. You didn't get anything out of him last year after signing him to a huge three-year deal. Hopefully he's back maybe as soon as next week, if not next week, maybe the week after that. But your cornerbacks are going to get injured at various points of the season. You hate it to be week one, but you need depth at cornerback, and the Bengals tried desperately to improve their depth at that spot. They did, and, you know, the one that had the, the unbelievable camp and won himself a spot as a depth corner is Jalen Davis. I mean, on a snap-by-snap -snap basis, he proved that he was the best cover corner. Did he prove that he was the best special teams player necessarily at the cornerback position with Brown and other guys back there? Not necessarily, but first and foremost... I mean, if a corner a cornerback is a huge position, if a guy goes down, you need to have depth with guys that can cover because if they can't cover, you don't have to worry about your punt team 
you know, you don't have to worry about special teams. And when you say he proved he's the best cover corner, you're talking about the guys he was competing against Correct. to be on the roster, on that, not better than a Wuje or exactly, like exactly. He's the best of the guys that were trying to the back end of the roster, the depth cornerback position. Um, you know, those guys. It's all right. How many snaps we're going to get from them at the line of scrimmage defensively and special teams? And I'm sure it was a tough call. Tony Brown and others, you know, give you a lot of special team snaps. But this guy showed that he's the best cover guy of that group that was trying to make that fifth cornerback situation with the Cincinnati Bengals. Last but not least, time to take a closer look at the Vikings, who are coming off a very disappointing season. They opened 1-5, and five, rebounded to climb into playoff contention at 6-6, six and six, then dropped three in a row to miss the postseason. Chris Thomason covers the team for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, and he joined Lapp and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show. We started with what went wrong in Minnesota last year. The defense last year was a disaster, ranking 27th in total defense. They were young. They lost a lot of veterans. While the offense was pretty darn good, fourth in total offense, best ranking in 16 years. So they spent a lot of time during the offseason retooling the defense, and the defense should be much better. But then the offense, by the same token, uh, could regress. I mean, they didn't bring back Cincinnati native Kyle Rudolph. They didn't bring back uh, Riley Reese, who's gone to Cincinnati, another Cincinnati reference there. And Irv Smith Jr., the tight end, is uh, out for the season with uh, knee injury. And Christian Derisaw, who they thought was going to be their starting left tackle, first-round pick out of Virginia Tech, he's had a groin injury. So Rashad Hill, who's pretty much been a career reserve at right tackle, is now their starting left tackle. So uh, there are uh, certainly some issues on offense. Uh, there's no doubt about it. The uh, Minnesota Vikings under Mike Zimmer have made the playoffs in every odd-numbered year, which is three times and have missed in every even number year, which is four times. Okay, it's an odd-numbered year. If the Vikings don't make the playoffs and they miss the playoffs in consecutive years for the first time under Mike Zimmer, is he on the hot seat? Is his job in jeopardy? Yeah, I think he would definitely be on the hot seat if they don't make the playoffs um, because, as you noted, it would be the first time they missed in two straight years. Plus, there's, of course, now seven teams in each conference making the playoffs, so it's uh, easier to make it, and the Vikings expect to make the playoffs. But also, you know, they, Zimmer won the, the defense is Zimmer's baby, and uh, they beefed it up. They gave him, you know, a lot of players, so uh, the defense should be much better, and even though I pointed out some potential shortcomings on offense, the defense should be much better. So it might be a case of, you know, if they don't win this year, it's like, well, we we gave you the pieces. Chris Thomason from the St. Paul Pioneer Press is our guest. You mentioned that uh, first-round draft pick Christian Derisaw has been uh, battling injury. It, it looked like he was going to be the left tackle from day one this year. Is his replacement, Rashad Hill, a weak link on the offensive line? And are there any other pending injury concerns that are kind of up in the air at this point? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously left tackle is the glamour position on the offensive line, and it was manned capably by Riley Reef, 
for the previous uh, four years. He didn't make any pro bowls, but he was uh, steady above average left tackle. So you're taking a guy. I mean, I expect Rashad Hill to be better than he has been previously, but this is a guy who was mostly reserved at right tackle, all of a sudden starting at left tackle. That's a big responsibility. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be something to watch. As far as uh, injuries, um, keep an eye on Anthony Barr. He had a knee injury and pretty much didn't practice for an entire month until he was limited today, and uh, he missed the whole preseason. And uh, he returned after being out for the last 14 games last year. I mean, they have been treating with kids lungs to get his knee back in shape. Uh, I think he'll probably play on Sunday, but, you know, here's a guy that hasn't played in a game in close to a year and uh, hasn't even practiced much until today for a month. So we'll have to see how rusty he might be. Kirk Cousins, kind of a lightning rod, obviously. Uh, your impression, he, last year he throws 10 interceptions in the first six games, they go one and five. He throws three interceptions in the final 10, they go six and four. But since 2015, he's the only quarterback with 3,500 yards or more passing and 25 or more touchdowns uh, passing. He's the only guy that's done it for six consecutive years. Brady and Aaron Rodgers have done it five out of six years. So... What is your take on Kirk Cousins? Well, I mean, I think Kirk Cousins pretty much uh, said it all before um, the uh, 2019 season when he pretty much, you know, I had asked him about what he needs to do to get to the next level, and he said, you know, I'm a 500 quarterback pretty much. That kind of said it all. And then that particular season, he did lead the Vikings to the playoffs and they got a playoff victory over New Orleans so it looked like he was making strides after they missed the playoffs in his first year of 2018 but then last year they uh, regressed they were seven and nine I mean I think the, you know the major reason was the defense but still during a one and five start last year you mentioned the 10 interceptions and the Vikings started to play a lot better cousins started to play a lot better but they never could dig themselves out of that hole and uh you know he pretty much is just a five and a quarterback a lot of the stats that he has i mean he's beefed up in games where they've uh trailed and he's uh picked up a lot of semi-meaningless stats in the second half but you know right, now the right. rod has been for him kind of being the poster guy of unvaccinated i mean i'm calling up the cnn website and they're having just a general story about unvaccinated people in America and the photo that they select for the CNN homepage is a picture of Kirk Cousins. So uh, that's what he's kind of started to become known for is not being vaccinated in the fact that he missed uh, five days while on the COVID reserve list in uh, late July and early August. And you know, he still isn't vaccinated. So obviously if he were to miss time this year, then it would really get controversial with Kirk Cousins. So de defensively, Mike Zimmer calls the signals. His son, Adam, is one of the co-coordinators, but Mike Zimmer makes the calls. Offensively, Gary Kubiak retires. His son, Clint, takes over. He's never called plays. Is there any concern about Clint Kubiak calling plays in his first NFL game? 
Yeah, I would definitely think so. I mean, he's unproven. He's never called plays before, and, you know, it's an adjustment for him. And even to the point where he started out the preseason being on the field calling him, and then he moved up to the box like his uh, father used to be. So he even switched to midstream there. So he's learning to adjust, you know, just where he's sitting during games. So, yeah, there's no doubt that uh, there's going to be a potential adjustment period. I mean, because uh, he doesn't have anybody to really help him out. I mean, a couple of years ago, Kevin Stefanski, now the Browns coach, he was relatively inexperienced as an offensive coordinator, but he had Gary Kubiak as an offensive advisor who was uh, on the headset there and could help him out during games and that sort of thing. And, of course, Gary was the offensive coordinator last year. He didn't need any help. But, uh, you know, there's not too many folks to uh, help Clint out, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Here's a quick reminder to join Lap and me for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6 on ESPN 1530. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.